In the name of one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Hold that thought. There are wilderness areas in every ecosystem on every continent. The Great Barrier Reef in Australia, the world's largest coral reef, it's an aquatic wilderness that is home to dozens of endangered birds and fish and mammals and reptiles. The Mavuradoran wilderness in Zimbabwe, I knew I wouldn't get that out, so I thought I would do it like I was an idiot, (laughs) features elephants and zebras and crocodiles in their natural habitat. Some wilderness areas are huge. You look at Antarctica, it's really just one big wilderness. And some wilderness areas are small, and they are often located in unexpected places regional parks that are found in large, densely populated urban centers. Jesus performs much of his ministry in urban settings, yet many of his most transformative moments occur in outdoor settings, bodies of water, mountaintops, and wilderness. The wilderness of the Bible is a liminal space, It is an in-between place where ordinary life is suspended, identity shifts, and new possibilities emerge. We hear first this morning the story from the Hebrew scripture of Genesis, and we learn why we, as created images of our God, were removed from the Garden of Eden and sent into the wilderness. As theologian Catherine Sonderegger writes, our first parents received the penalty for their trespass, and it was justly deserved. Expulsion and labor by the sweat of their brow, pain and thistles and thorns in the very earth they plow. Then we get the letter to the Romans that makes mention of our friend Moses, and who can forget that fiasco of wandering and exile in the wilderness? Paul also speaks of hope, and we'll come back to that later. And the epistle is followed by what has become the backdrop of our season of Lent, Jesus' own horrible 40 days in the wilderness. The wilderness. If you like to camp, you love the wilderness. I don't like the wilderness, but that's another story. When we associate the wilderness of our biblical narrative with our own fears and anxieties of what that means metaphorically and literally, the wilderness seems to always come out on the bottom of the things we want to do. The wilderness becomes a place where the lost are doomed to wander or where the sinful are sent for punishment, strict punishment, and swift justice, where we must pay back exactly on the scale of our indiscretion. Why wouldn't we envision the wilderness journey as nothing but a bad situation? Doomed to wander, Lord, I feel it, and sent as a punishment for his sins. That's not our Jesus. That's not 
our story. That's not the way it goes. Jesus didn't sin. Neither was he sent. Jesus is led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. He doesn't eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He doesn't grumble against God for only feeding us manna. He's baptized. That's all that happens. He's just baptized. He's baptized by his cousin John and all of the grandeur that comes along with that invitation. Well, that same spirit, that same spirit who leads him into the wilderness is this spirit that not long ago descended on him like a dove. This trip to the wilderness can't be as bad as we assume it to be, can it? And yet, as we read on, it almost sounds like it is worse than we think. Jesus isn't being punished, and he isn't lost, but the Spirit is leading him to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan? Well, isn't that special? Maybe trips to the wilderness are that bad. And as we look through the scriptures, we see that trips to the wilderness, they're actually meant to teach, not to punish. The wilderness is where the faithful are prepared. The wilderness is where God's people await God's will. The wilderness is where God's mercy and love are made known. And this trip for Jesus is no different. It isn't as bad as it seems on the surface, or the middle, or the bottom. It is instead an opportunity to see if the time is right, to make sure that Jesus has been fully prepared for the ministry to which he has been called. It's a test. The same Greek word means to tempt. It's a test of his fitness to begin his journey toward Jerusalem and ultimately toward the cross. And while it did not begin this way, Lent has become for us a similar time in the wilderness. The Spirit may not be leading us there to be tempted by the devil, but the church is calling us, calling us to the wilderness for a period of testing. Not to prove ourselves worthy of God's love. We're already worthy of God's love. Not to save us. We are saved, not as a self-help retreat. But to turn us back toward God, to remember us as a community to remember us as the body of Christ, to deepen our relationship with Jesus as we walk with him and we talk with him on the road to Jerusalem. And we can look at Lent through the same negative lenses that we see the wilderness if we want to. I mean, we can hem and haw about how much more difficult to me the hymns seem during Lent. I'm grateful for our choir, especially in the season of Lent. And we can moan and groan about how guilty Lent makes us feel, or we can see it in a more positive light. 
we can take to heart the opening words of the prayer for absolution at the end of the Ash Wednesday liturgy. That Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, desires not the death of sinners, but rather that they may turn from their wickedness and live. I don't know about you, sometimes the great litany sounds to me in my own brokenness like I am a horrible, horrible human being that I must have God step in for all of this for me. Lent's not about spending it morose and despondent while kicking oneself in one's own backside. Lent is a chance to reevaluate and to return to God, to remember who we are and whose we are, to be remembered even with our brokenness, even with our depravity. It's a time in the wilderness for preparation, for waiting and trusting. And it's ultimately a time which is making us ready for the great celebration of the resurrection. Matthew's Gospel, and we're back. The wilderness, we have seen. It's not so bad, is it? In 40 days, someone said to me, Ash Wednesday, that's such an arbitrary number. Well, let's look at it. 40 days. 40 days marks our season. 40, 40. The days and nights that Noah and his family endured the deluge on board the ark. And after that, God made a covenant never again to destroy the earth with a flood. 40. 40, the days and nights Moses fasted on Mount Sinai as he inscribed the words of God's covenant for the Israelites. 40, the days and nights Elijah fasted in the desert before receiving a new commission from God. 40, the years, the years the Israelites wandered the wilderness in preparation for their arrival in the promised land. It's not an arbitrary number of days that Jesus is in the wilderness. It's very intentional. And as with all periods of laying groundwork in our lives, it requires some testing or some tempting. Our churchmanship is tested in changes in the liturgy, changes in the season. The question is, will we come back next Sunday and try again? Of course we will. Our personal piety is tested as we add or subtract something from our lives. Is it worth no chocolate or no alcohol or whatever is on your to-don't list or what's on your to-do list? Our fortitude is tested. Are we up to the task of self-examination? And when done, are we capable of standing before God as the sinners that we know we are? Lent's not easy, but Lent is not as bad as we make it out to be. And good or bad, who cares? That's not the point. It's not the point. The point is about the people. The point is about God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all about people. And it's all about relationships. And we actually find the point in the words of Paul. He says basically that Jesus Christ is the one who brings the life Jesus brings the mercy. Jesus brings the renewal. Jesus brings the pardon. Jesus brings the joy, and it's all around us, and grace abounds even more and more and more. 
love and grace and mercy and pardon and joy. Lent is about leaving the 99 and going into the wilderness after the one that is lost. It's about bearing one another's burdens. It's about helping those who are living in the dark to find their way into the light. It's about digging down into the weeds to find the wheat. And in my favorite words from the litany, Lent is about strengthening those who stand, comforting and helping the weak-hearted, and raising up those who fall, and finally beating down Satan under our feet. That is a call from God, it is a call to God, and it is a partnership that we are invited into, to beat down Satan, the Satan that is poverty, racism, oppression, hunger, sexism, fear, and loneliness. The Holy Spirit is leading each of us, each of us into the wilderness to be faithful and to seek the truth of our own brokenness and our own failings, to be vulnerable and to be authentic. And when we've done wrong, to call it out, to name it and to make amends to our friends, our families, our communities, our God. Because the Lord has made us a promise, and it's a promise of protection. The Lord vows to defend us and give us shelter, and we're called to strip off all that is not of God, and not just to put on skins of mercy, but instead to clothe ourselves in the safety of God's own faithfulness and truth. Jesus was led, my friends, led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. And Jesus is leading us too. And the church, again, is leading us to the observance of a holy, dirty, prayerful, dusty, muddy, giving, raining, sleeting, repenting, cold, windy, turbulent, and holy Lent. And all the wilderness and the grandeur that comes with that invitation. I'm taking the risks that lead to the rewards, and I'm praying we'll all be led by the Holy Spirit to go deep into the wilderness this season. I hope we'll be led there remembered together.